And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he is the reverent portrait of James Dean to my disapproving picture of Henry Kissinger. Perry Seibert. I'll take that. I will take that. I don't deserve it, but I will take it. The only other way to go would be one of us would have to be Richard Nixon, and I don't think anyone wants that. I guess I mean, one of us could have been Cher. One of us could have been Cher. I'm, I'm, I'm always up for being Sandy Dennis. I have no problem with that. So any, yeah. there were no bad options here. Oh, except Richard Nixon. Except Richard Nixon, always. That's oh. always a bad option. <laughs> uh, that is a reference to the fact that today you are getting not one, but two Robert Altman movies from us. Uh, we are going to continue our discussion of Robert Altman's filmography um, by, I think, covering... Uh, this, as far as I know, this is going to be our only episode on the '80s output of him. Um, um we're we're going to talk about that. Okay, you, okay. Talk about off air. There, there, okay. there are options. But you're getting two from the '80s, two plays from the '80s. Um, come back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, and Secret Honor. Um, so yeah, looking forward to doing that. How you doing, Perry? I am well. I have nothing major to report. Life continues to be good. How are you, Chris? I am doing well as well. We uh, we made it through Halloween, so that's good. Um, it's funny. I looked at my letterbox for October, and aside from Secret Honor, I think every single thing I watched was a horror movie in October. <laughs> um, and, and I don't think there were very many new ones. It was a lot of old stuff, but um, yeah, so, so things are going well. It's on to Christmas movies now, so... Yeah, there's, there's, they need more Thanksgiving movies. That is, that is an untapped market. There's only like a couple of them, and everybody plays them, and none of them are great. Uh, I, I would counter planes, trains, and automobiles. I think is great, but um, I, and I would say the Ice Storm. If you're okay. at the other end of the emotional spectrum, those are those 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 are yes, the best Thanksgiving movies. But but yeah, then you get into Christmas. But anyways, um, so we are back, and Perry, let's kick this off. We are in fall movie season, which is one of my favorite times of the year to go to movies. So I'm assuming you've been watching a lot. What have you been watching? Uh, I watched so much, but I only really wanted to talk about one thing in particular, which is Todd Field's Tar. Oh. Which is, uh, you know, Todd, we've been waiting. It's been, I think it's 16 years since Todd Field made a movie. Yeah, Uh, Little Children, he only made two movies before. They were both spectacular pieces of work. And boy, this is too... (laughs) <laughs> this is i love this movie for so many reasons kate blanchett plays a, a world-renowned conductor uh and this is like all of todd's fields films just a straight-up character study that's all that's going on here this is not about plot um but it's couched as almost this sort of polanski-esque psychological thriller uh even though it's not that it's a character study but it's disturbing because you are put in the first person of of this woman who is uh who you are in the first 30 minutes of the movie, you really admire and you see how formidable they are and how talented they are. And then slowly but surely you realize, oh, she's horrible too. She's a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> and um, what I love about it is that it's a film that will confuse culture warriors at either end of the spectrum. It's, it's, it's about so much of what's going on right now. And it has, it has no answers and it doesn't want to have any answers. It doesn't pretend to have any answers. It gives you this incredible space where you can talk about wow, what happened to this character? And should that have happened to that character? And 
well, what, what, what is, wow, what? And, and just admire Kate Blanchett, who I think is well on her way to winning her third Oscar. I am very eager to see this one. Um, <laughs> it is very hard to clear out time to see a two and a half hour movie these days. Um, but I'm very excited because next week, my kids and I are off on Tuesday for election day. So I usually take that Monday off as like kind of a me day. And what I've been doing the last few years is I'll drop the kids off at the bus stop and then I'll head over to the mall bias that has a nice little movie theater and I'll do a double feature. So like I'll go in at nine 30, see the first show of the day sure. and then stick around for another one. So uh, last year it was last night in Soho and the French dispatch. Um, and <laughs> okay. Which, Odd combination, but uh, this year I think I'm going to go do the Banshees of uh, in a Sharon. So excited for that! And um, then I'm going to follow that up with Tar right after that. So, well, you are just getting nothing but great writers. Yeah, <laughs> That's a, yeah that is a double feature of powerhouse writers. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I've been watching. Speaking of powerhouse writers, um, I, I did have the opportunity. Well, I, I was telling you earlier, I did see Armageddon Time, um, but I'm still not quite sure where I land on that one. So I don't know that I want to talk about that one just yet. Um, But if we're talking about movies about great artists um, and maybe problematic people, uh, I I should jump into the fact that I recently had the opportunity to uh, screen the new musical biopic, uh, Weird, the Al Yankovic story. No spoilers. Please no spoilers. (laughs) I'm watching Friday. I'm very excited. This is... um, this is the adaptation of the funnier die sketch for the Roku channel, which is a sentence that 10 years ago made no sense at all. <laughs> um, it, it stars Daniel Radcliffe as weird Al. Um, and it is basically weird Al telling his life story as a parody of Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, it's exactly what you would expect from a weird Al movie. I am. Huh? Bohemian Rhapsody was a parody too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is I'm I'm a longtime Weird Al fan. I I was in middle school and a friend passed me a cassette tape of um, Off the Deep End, and then a few weeks later we were at a friend's house and we might have stolen their cassette tape of Dare to Be Stupid. Um, I, I firmly believe that listening to Weird Al is part of the reason why I'm a writer. Um, I, I think he is, I, I, I say this with no irony whatsoever. I, I think the man is a genius. I, I love his work. Um, I love his first film UHF, which, um, he didn't direct that, but he wrote that just like here, Eric Apple directs this. Um, yeah, I, I you don't want any spoilers and I don't know that I could spoil it. Uh, but it is strange. It is surreal. It is a hundred percent not true. Um, <laughs> and Daniel Radcliffe goes for it um it is a very fun performance uh he's great i I really enjoyed evan rachel wood as madonna um the only only problem i had aside from a little bit of a lag in the second act is walk hard very obviously beat it to the punch um and it can't quite escape that but it's kind of a walk hard you could watch with your family i guess would be the better way I, what most intrigues me about this is, and I don't, I, 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 uh, I, I at least match you as a Weird Al fan. UHF isn't the first Weird Al movie. There's a fantastic documentary, funny documentary, but still a documentary called The Complete Al, 
which is a parody of the complete Beatles, which is one of the great, if you've only got two hours and you need the Beatles story, the complete Beatles is an excellent documentary. It really is. The complete Al is a parody of the complete Beatles, but it tells weird Al stories more or less straight. Like it's not, it's, it's jokey. It's not, you know, it's not the truth, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, you'll get the facts along the way. Uh, Interesting. I, and I have a huge soft spot for the complete Al for that very reason. And I, um, I know I'm in the minority of people who love weird Al. And I, I, I think UHF is bad. Oh no. <laughs> I don't oh, no. like UHF. I've never liked UHF. I'm not saying it's not, I'm not saying it's terrible, but it's not. I, there is not, there is not a weird Al album. I would listen to rather than watch UHF. I would oh, listen sure. to all of Weird Al's stuff rather than watch UHF and rather watch the complete Al. <laughs> and I not just like- because I know the complete Beatles inside and out as well. Uh, so I'm super excited for this because I, I love the tone. I love they're doing it. This just seems like the exact right project for the Roku channel to have as its flagship thing. It's, it is much better than I expected from a Roku channel feature. Um, I will actually say the big bummer is that they're not putting this in theaters. This would play so well in a theater this this would play really great with a crowd um going back to uhf that that i i think the reason i love that movie so much and i i've only seen it a handful of times but the last time i saw it was when my wife was on maternity leave with our first child (laughs) and um i it was one of those nights i was just kind of blind scrolling on netflix and she's sitting there reading a book and i'm like uhf i haven't seen that in a bit i'll pop it on and she gets about 10 minutes in. She's kind of looking over a book. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen, Chris. Why are you watching this? Why are you watching this? I'm like, yeah, it's funny. You know, whatever. Ha, ha, ha. It gets to the scene where they throw the poodle out the window. And to this day, I have never heard my wife laugh as hard as she laughed at that. I had to pause the movie because she was laughing so loud. I could not. And so it's got a soft spot for me. You watched her win. You watched that movie win over a tough crowd. I can get it. That's totally totally makes sense. I said, I confess I'm in the minority. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like I've seen the complete Al, but in my mind, and I must've seen it ages ago, it was just kind of wraparound segments for music videos. Oh, interesting. But I could be wrong. I I could be thinking of something totally different, but interesting. But that is weird, the Al Yankovic story. Um, you know, it, it is a lot of fun. And uh, it's by the time you're listening to this podcast, it'll be on Roku channel. So give it a look. It, if you have Roku, it's free. And I would pay to see it. It's, it's fun. <laughs> so very hard transition to make now from uh, the weird Al Yankovic story to um, <laughs> two 80s films by Robert Altman. Um the last one we discussed was Popeye. And if I am correct, these movies, or at least uh, the shift to come back to the five and dying, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, was a response to how Robert Altman felt he was treated by the studios after Popeye. Uh, this, so yes, throughout the early 80s, Altman does this, I don't want to say weird, but does this absolute switch of focus mm-hmm. from doing these sprawling things to doing these very intimate recreations of really good plays he does about five of them in about a five-year period uh so we're going to talk about the two uh, the two best ones well there's another one i really like <laughs> that we'll talk about as we get into it uh but streamers uh is in there uh he did an adaptation of sam shepherd's fool for love which is and all of these are interesting and worth seeing um you know 
I, I decided to make you watch these two because I think they're the two most sort of uh, they're, they're 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 the most engaging and they're the more they're 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 both more cinematic than the other one I really like, which is the K Mutiny Court Martial, which he actually did for TV, which is great. I love the K Mutiny Court Martial. It's a bunch of really good actors: uh, Jeff Daniels, Eric Bogosian, uh, mm-hmm. d- doing just basically the second half of the K Mutiny, just just the court martial part, not the whole not the whole uh, mutiny. Uh, it's worth seeing. I, they're all pretty available if you want to go look for them. But yes, uh, come back to the five and nine. Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean comes just two years after Popeye. <laughs> the the uh, the I, I if I hope you won't think that I'm saying it's bad if I just call Popeye. I think it's fair to call Popeye a bit of a bloated mess. Oh yeah, I, I think that's fair. <laughs> you know, I think uh, if you to our episode, we came to that conclusion. You, you can't get more the, uh, more more le- uh, lean and thin than than these two movies, which mm-hmm. are. Uh, you know, b- barely clocking it over 90 minutes are full of talk, full of really good talk and full of, they're not even full of characters. One of them's only got one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and he finds really interesting ways to visually put you inside a play without making it, not opening it up, not making it seem, you know, overly cinematic. You know, you're, you could tell these are plays. There's no oh, yeah. doubt, but still doing really interesting things with, with uh with screens and with mirrors and with reflections to get at what these stories are about well what do you feel is the best way into this do you want to should we talk about them one at a time or do we bounce off together i mean there's there's a lot of similarities to what i enjoy and maybe didn't enjoy as much with these uh in both movies but i think they're also both worth digging into separately so how however you want to jump into this i'm cool however it ends up going i don't i don't think we need to stay real strict with this if we end up if we end up you know sort of dreamily going back and forth between the two i think that's (laughs) i think altman would approve well (laughs) one thing that that does strike me and, and because i hadn't seen these before and it, it is it was very jarring for me to watch these two movies on the heels of all the other Altman movies we've looked yes. at, right? Which are these expansive movies with these huge settings. Um, they build these giant worlds, have these sprawling casts of characters. And like you said, both of these are two films confined to one location. One of the films is one character and a bunch of pictures. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it felt very jarring to the point where about a half hour into Jimmy Dean, I, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I like this at all. This is, this is very claustrophobic and confining. I think in both films, that's kind of the point. Um, yeah. How, how people are confined to these settings. Uh, Jimmy Dean takes place in a Woolworths in a small town in Texas. And it, it had, it features a group of women who, reunite 20 years after they had last seen each other uh they were part of this james dean fan club or cult or something appreciation um, club <laughs> they were disciples the no, they disciples were disciples of james, of james dean. Yes. dean um and then secret honor is richard nixon in a room having a nervous breakdown basically <laughs> um and it should be noted he's played by the wonderful philip baker hall um so yeah, I, I thought like I, I was very jarred at first, and and I, I think Jimmy Dean was the one that jarred me the most. I because you get all these characters in this confined setting, and it felt more claustrophobic to me. And I feel like I had, I, I really wanted to see it open up a bit and give me some breathing room. Whereas I felt like the claustrophobia and the isolation of Secret Honor is the whole point of the whole yes. movie. Um, but I will say. 
as Jimmy Dean continued, it actually became my favorite of the two movies. Um, okay, that's interesting. I, I think it goes into some really interesting places I didn't expect a film from 1982 to go that actually felt maybe they'd be dealt with a little more sensitively these days, but it felt in line with a lot of conversations going on these days. Um, yes, there's one thing that makes Five and Dime feel very, very of the moment. Yeah. Uh, Five and Dime, I, I agree with you on the rhythms of Five and Dime. It is a it is a weird movie to adjust into. It does take a time to get going. And the other, the other problem, but the other sort of, the other sort of thing I, I've never gotten over with Five and Dime is once it starts, even if you've never seen it, you know where this is all going. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 such, it's such a classically structured play. It is the boys in the band. It is, you know, it, any of those plays where a bunch of people get together and have a dark night of the soul. Uh, and you can see where, basically all there's no there's supposed to be these giant revelations and none of them are revelations <laughs> if, no, you know, no. if you know anything about how to write a play i guess yeah i know where all this is going and it's so engaging i don't care i mean that's the, that's a compliment in the long run to the to the filmmaking i love the fact that for that film he very much just lifts the production as it was directed on broadway mm-hmm. which is there was this two-way mirror and that was used in order to have the foreground is is right now. And behind that two-way mirror, you had the past. They would have flashbacks behind there. So, and these are all done within the same shot sometimes. So actors have to, you'd be playing in two different decades within the same yeah. shot. And it's, and it's great. And it's unobtrusive. It's not showy. It's just, well, this is how we're telling this story, which is really great. As Altman was never showy. <laughs> even at his showiest Alton was never showy he was very matter of fact about his genius and so that's uh, I, I I it is I I disagree with you entirely I think Secret Honor is a much better movie because I think it's a much better script and and by much better I just mean it's fantastic I think Five and Dime and Jimmy Dean is perfectly plausible it's perfectly acceptable mm. it's just it's fine <laughs> it's, it's not revelatory uh, it's, I don't think it's I don't think it takes as nearly as big a swing as Secret Honor does nor do I think anybody in come back to the five times Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, as very good as they all are, uh, you know, can touch what Philip Baker Hall is doing <laughs> in Secret yeah. Honor. So oh, I no, find Secret I, I, a much more engaging and interesting movie. But yes, I agree that uh, with uh, that five times Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean absolutely gets better as it goes along. And is it, and it's a great showcase for these actresses. You know, I, and it could be a case of expectations as well. Um, I had heard about Secret Honor before. I, I had heard about the film where Philip Baker Hall plays Richard Nixon alone in a room with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and I've when we when I knew we were going to watch that, I was kind of like, all right, I I wanted to check this one out. Whereas I had no expectations about Jimmy Dean. Um, yeah, that's fair. And and I do think they both very obviously feel like plays. They and I don't have a problem with that. I like going to the theater. Um, and and I agree with you. I like the I like the way that Altman switches back and forth uh, through the eras in, in Jimmy Dean. I, I thought that was effective. It kind of confused me at first. It kind of threw me off just because I hadn't seen that done. Like it felt very theatrical because the yes. color, you know, the lights, like literally dim, and it it feels very theatrical. And there are there are moments in the movie where characters just come out and basically do a monologue, which. You don't see it, it, like it feels like they stepped up, hit an X, said their lines and stepped back. Yeah. Um, and, and that threw me off. And, and I think I, I will say I do think the the dialogue in Secret Honor feels much more natural where this does feel it, it's 
it's very theatrical, florid language, right? It's oh yeah, yes. Very descriptive. Um, it is to the point where no one, yeah, no one talks this way. But I loved watching them pull that off. Uh, I loved Sandy Dennis yeah. in this movie. Oh yeah, um, who who dead ringer for Julianne Moore in ser- several sequences. It <laughs> threw me off when she would smile, like get a giant smile on her face. I it. it it kind of gave me chills because I'm like, that's Julianne Moore. That's not Sandy Dennis, but. This is going to be fun because in a few weeks, you're going to get to see Julianne Moore do Robert Altman. I'm excited. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it. I, I found it interesting because, I, like I said, it, it it was very, We should. I should probably just get to the whole point there. The whole handling of the character Joanne, who is revealed mm-hmm. halfway through. Spoiler alert, guys, this is a 40-year-old movie. And you'll um, see it coming. Yep. Yes. Um, so throughout the first half of the film, you know, it's basically these women reminiscing about these friendships they had while they were at this five and dime. And everyone in the cast is a woman, except in some of the flashbacks. Uh, Mark Patton plays a boy named Joe. And it's very apparent Joe is a gay man, and that is not accepted in Texas. In 1955? Uh, yeah. 2022 probably too yeah, it's fair but but uh you know he doesn't show up at all in any of the in any of the uh modern day scenes but a woman no- named joanne shows up who they remark several times there's something very familiar about you and you know where this is going this yes. is yeah. um joe is now joanne uh she is a trans woman and I, I, again i think just given how we've learned more I, I feel like it would be handled a little bit more sensitively today um but it still is remarkable for me to see this movie 40 years ago that cre- you know has a trans character who is treated not as a you know object of ridicule or not even as a big statement but she's a character and she's a character who is allowed to be flawed and angry and bitter but also very sympathetic and and treated as as a character i i it feels weird to say a movie made in my lifetime i'm surprised that that would be the case but it just shows how (laughs) slow progress is which is also kind of the point of this movie um progress or die is really yeah a a major theme of this movie um I, i thought it was handled extremely well and like a lot of the a lot of the commentary, a lot of the questions that the other women have about, you know, using the right pronouns and, and things that I like, those are conversations we're just beginning to get our arms around with some yeah. people. And and I, I thought that was handled really well. And I, I thought um, Karen Black handled, was really phenomenal. Everyone is good in this. Um, yeah. There's a young Kathy Bates, uh, who is the person who does not see any of this coming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Throughout the movie, which I thought was really there's, funny. There's a reason they give the best actress the hardest part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought that was, I, I just thought it was really interesting material to have in a movie that was uh, made at a time where we probably culturally weren't having those conversations. Um, and, and I think that whole theme of progress or die like that's why this movie doesn't need to be opened up like i I might have wanted to feel that but it is this idea that these people are chained to this place they have not like it's very well remarked upon but very blatantly that joanne has changed no one else has changed um and, and it's the theme you don't change you're going to be left behind you're going to be 
the you know in these dying towns because the world's going to move on without you as the closing credits make readily aware oh yeah, apparent. yeah. It's, a, it's a great closing credit sequence it, it's it's fantastic yeah um yeah, and and I thought it was really interesting. And again, it's it's very much a written film. It's very on the nose, but there is this recurring theme of facades, and yeah. everyone has an a life they've constructed so that the rest of the world can see them the way they they want to be seen. Um, and they're hiding like a lot of neuroses, a lot of trauma, a lot of really messy stuff, which all comes out in the final 45 minutes of the movie and um, like you said you see it all coming but it, they act the hell out of it yeah it's great yeah it's it, it's it's a it's it is compulsively watchable <laughs> and it is a pleasure to watch all of those performers and it is it does remind you you know as you were talking about how that issue was tackled at the time it it reminds me that oh it was you know it was a time in which you could address stuff like this on broadway <laughs> You, yeah. you could tackle really, really challenging social stuff almost more on the stage than you could in film, especially by this point, 1982, when the, seven, the era of 70s film is over as Altman filming a bunch of plays makes readily apparent. <laughs> but yes, that's, uh, that's all. It's, 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 a, it's, it's, a really good, it's a really good piece of work. If you are interested in this period of Altman, it is absolutely one of the, one of the ones I would, I would encourage you to seek out. Though, like I said... I think Secret Honor is way better and far more interesting. <laughs> I, and, and I really, I did like Secret Honor a lot. Like I said, expectations played a role. And you tell me there's a movie where Richard Nixon is drunk alone in a room with a gun. <laughs> you know, I, that that sets the bar pretty high. And, and and I enjoyed this. I watched it on Criterion Channel. I think it might still be on there. Um, it is. It is. But let, let's talk about that. Um, why, sure. What is Secret Honor about, Perry? So Secret Honor is, as you said, so it's an adaptation of a play that was done in Los Angeles originally with Philip Baker Hall. And it really is. It's a one-man show. And it is, uh, it is as we imagine Nixon near the end of, the, before he resigns, you know, drunk and raving in the White House. And it is this, uh, so there, there's, there are two things going on that complement each other beautifully. There is Altman figuring out how to make this incredibly tight space visually interesting. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking about, he does it with screens. He does it with, uh, he does it with reflections. He does it with uh, very abrupt edits, which are, yeah. is not the case in Five and Dime at all. Uh, and so there is this disjointed feel throughout that is very much matching Nixon's state of mind. Uh Along with this incredibly, I mean, yes, the writing is more realistic with air quotes than, than Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, but it is full of these wonderful accentuations of Nixon's verbal tics. If you've spent any time listening to the Nixon tapes or reading Nixon or watching, you know, this gets his vocal pattern in a way that you first think is just kind of, you know, Saturday Night Live parody-ish and then you realize oh they fully committed to this yeah, <laughs> like, yeah like this this inability to finish a thought this constant stammering and restarting is all part of his psychosis uh and if you are if you are up to speed on Nixonian history there are lots of really wonderful sly jokes throughout uh, it, for about an hour this plays it kind of straight I mean it, it says up front this is a work of fiction <laughs> trying to analyze the character of Richard Nixon in order to understand. And I like that. I like that stance. That's a very cool way to say 
based on a true story in a way that I think is way more honest. Uh, and so what I love about it is it's this, it is, it, it is a great, I don't want to say it's a great history lesson because it's a great character study of this fictional character, very much based on a real person, but it does this great spin in the final 20 minutes where it takes a genuine leap away from reality oh, yeah. <laughs> and offers this portrait of Nixon as victim i guess or at least a a man who possesses the title (laughs) which is the whole point uh and that they could get that they could make you do a 180 on nixon they can make this richard nixon who is so unlikable and so such a buffoon through the first hour of this movie that they could get to the point where you feel bad for him and start to think about wow this is that is that is such deep paranoia that Nixon obviously suffered that you're like, maybe that was how he felt. Maybe maybe I kind of understand the man. That's pretty deep. There is a point where Philip Baker Hall gets on all fours and <laughs> acts like a dog. Yes. And you sympathize with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I agree. It, it is like the way it bounces back and forth between paranoia and resentment is yes it, it feels very like if you've spent any time with friends who have gone on over to the QAnon side in the last five years the i those rhythms are very real <laughs> um it, yeah it, you know it, it, that is weird again you talk about movies that feel like they have some resonance for today i mean you talk about a president who might have been becoming unhinged and believing loopy conspiracy theories. I mean, there's a sequel, right? You know, if someone, if the next Robert Altman wants to, wants to take it, it's there. Um, no, I, I agree. It's, and it's a fascinating performance. Like just the, how sweaty Philip Baker Hall gets. I think he said he, he lost like 30 pounds doing this role. Um, and, and it's, it's amazing. Like I love Philip Baker Hall and all those Who great performance. Yeah. All those great performances we got in uh Paul Thomas Anderson movies. We're all due to him. Paul Thomas Anderson seeing secret honor and saying, Oh, I want to work with that guy. Yeah. Right? And, and putting him in his movies. Um, no, it, and it's writing hard eight for him. Yeah. <laughs> saying, yeah. Here, please don't and, do this. And, and I, I, you, you, you said it, it's not a Saturday night live impression. Like that was, kind of my fear going in is that what it is it's just a movie because obviously the premise again richard nixon drunk brandishing a gun opened my eyes or made me think oh is this going to be satire is this going to be just a kind of a you know a a kind of wacky little movie but no it's an actual character it's yeah and like you said you do feel bad for him you recognize him in many ways like again i i've had I, I've known friends who have gone this paranoid and this this angry, and those rhythms are very familiar. Um, I, I do love the way that this is both claustrophobic, but does feel cinematic in the way that Altman uses the camera and and edits. Um, the there's the constant thread. I alluded it to it in our introduction. Um, Richard Nixon is having conversations with photographs on his wall most of the portraits on his wall and there are times that the camera will zoom in for a reaction shot to that photo 
um, to carry on like it's a dialogue and, and it actually works and somehow even makes it feel even more claustrophobic. There are, <laughs> you know, literally he's surrounded by history that is watching him. Um, it reminded me, did you see Spencer last year? Yeah. It reminded me there are several scenes where Diana's in those those giant rooms with history literally surrounding her and suffocating her. Mm-hmm. And, and it reminded me of that. Um, a little more claustrophobic here because the room is so small. The room, of course, we should note for our Michigan listeners was uh, at U of M. This was filmed Absolutely. at U of M with a U of M crew. Alban was a visiting professor for a semester uh, with the Educations Department and filmed it while he was here. Yes, indeed. And, and you mentioned screens too. Like there, I, I think that pl- there are constant shots where he's watching security monitors outside his house, which heightens the paranoia. But also, there is also this thread, um, you know, in his in his ramblings. But also, if you if you know the history of Richard Nixon and the debates and everything, of how much TV played a role in that presidency yep. and has driven him paranoid. Um, and, and I thought that was fascinating too. Um, it was hard to keep up with the dialogue for me. I had to, after a while, relent and put the subtitles on because it, it goes fast. Yes. Yes, he rants in the most Nixonian way. And, and here's where I want to say that, you know, and it is this amazing thing where he doesn't sound like Nixon and he doesn't look like mm-hmm. Nixon, but he's Nixon. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's certainly a very recognizable Nixon. He's certainly this movie's Nixon. And close enough to being easy. But the only other on-screen Nixon I've enjoyed nearly as much as Dan Hedaya in Dick, who also <laughs> does not, who looks and sounds like Dan Hedaya, and yet is fantastic as that Richard Nixon. <laughs> uh, you know, and those, that's, they make a great double feature. <laughs> I have never seen Dick. Not oh, I've really? Seen. That's Kirsten oh, Dunst and Michelle Williams, right? I rewatched it like last year. I showed it to one of my daughters uh, and it's, it's, um, it's a really smart piece of work. It's it's, I, a, it's a much better movie than people understand. I think like, it's brilliant and great, but it's real good. I, I don't know why I didn't see that, because I feel like I was right the target age for that when it came out. Um, so I don't know why I missed that one. Oh, well. Check it out. Um, I'll, I'll go back a, and see that. It is one of the best uh, funhouse mirror retellings of Watergate you'll ever see. Okay. Okay. Um, so I guess a question I had for you on these is, I, like I said, these are very different from the Altman films we've covered. Um, I don't know how much different it is from the rest of his filmography from the 70s for the movies we haven't covered, um, if those feel as enclosed or anything. But I also felt like there are certain aspects where these do feel like Robert Altman movies. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I I mean, I I felt it most with uh, Jimmy Dean because probably because he's working with an ensemble in this and, you know, there's those, he has that way of filming speech that is very, very much him. Um, but there was something about secret honor where I, 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 maybe it's just the attitude, you know, he has this thread running through all of his, all his films where he is very distrustful of institutions and, you know, there's a cynicism running through some of them. And I I felt like you could feel that fueling Secret Honor. Like, it's not a film I would have expected to come from him, but when you see it, you kind of, oh yeah, I I can see why he would have chosen to do this. Yeah. It's so anti-establishment, it mocks Nixon and then makes you feel a little bit of sympathy for Nixon. He's he's upsetting everybody. (laughs) And brilliantly so. Yeah, I, I... this period of Altman is considered often described as fallow. I think that's the word you'll find most often to describe his 
his 80s work. And I, it's just, or, or uncinematic. I, I find both of those things remarkably reductive. I don't know any artist who wouldn't be a tad fallow following his 70s. Uh, and so I don't, I, I think that's unfair. I think he was looking for inspiration in, in really interesting pieces of writing and he found them. Uh, and he wanted to work as he always did as independently as possible. And he learned how not independently he could work if he was working with a major studio with a lot of money. And so it would take, uh, it would take most of this decade for him to get to a point where he would be given uh, a fair amount of cash by, by thankfully the boom of the American indie scene. Yeah. And I don't have any, like, I I don't know. Like I, I feel like looking down on this period because they're smaller and, you know, their play adaptations that do feel, you know, they, they don't escape that theatricality. I don't know. To me, that's kind of a feature, not a bug right. um, about Agreed. these. I Like, again, I, I feel like with Secret Honor, that that claustrophobia is the whole point. That is the tone. That is, you can't open that movie up and have that same impact. Yeah. It has to be confined in this one room. Um, I think there's a version of Jimmy Dean where you could open it up and show the town and, you know, maybe dramatize the flashbacks. But again, I think you're losing the point. The, the way he handles those flashbacks, particularly when it's um, when it's Mona thinking back to conversations she had with Joe. Mm-hmm. And it's just this flash in a mirror where she's looking at... At the mirror, you can see she's looking at a present day scene, but there'll just be a flash of a face. And it just shows how buried in her this is. How she can't yes. escape this place and these memories. And I, I again I think that claustrophobia plays into it so well. Yeah, I, I agreed entirely. <laughs> he made the film he wanted to make, and that was this version of this play. They they missed the opportunity to film a sequel 20 years later. You know, if this movie had been made 20 years ago, right now, some Disney Plus or something would be like, oh, let's just reboot Jimmy Dean 20 years later, they come back. (laughs) It would be like, but if it was Disney Plus, it'd have to be what? It'd have to be like Kurt Russell, right? Come back, (laughs) Kurt Russell to the five and dime. It's it's, it's not going to play. It's not going to Disney doesn't do sad mythology well. Well, I mean, any studio, uh, like, they would find a way to <laughs> to get Kathy Bates back there, you know, to walk on for a cameo. And I don't know. It's just depressing now. But no, what's 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 most depressing is to see Cher's non-human face at this point. That would be that would be the most depressing thing about it. She took the wrong lesson out of the movie about changing. Oh, and she's she's fantastic in this. Too. She's great. Again, everyone, everyone in this is fantastic. But I, she starts off in a, you know, she's almost the the comic relief or the carefree character. And there is a reveal of where, you know, the reality of her situation, you know, in the third act that is devastating. Yeah. She's fantastic. She, everybody's really good. She's so good. She, you know, she got Silkwood off this and was fantastic in that too. In that brief period when she decided she was an actress, you know, <laughs> it stopped after Moonstruck. But it was great while it lasted. It was it was fantastic. Do you have anything else about either of these films? Uh, no, other than to say, I would I really would encourage people to, to check them out. Uh, whichever too. one sounds more interesting to you. I again, I I I have such a giant soft spot for the K Mutiny Court Martial. I remember watching it when it aired on TV in the mid eighties. Um, 
it's really good. <laughs> it's it's really good source material. It's spectacular actors. It's a very made for TV movie. <laughs> it's even less trying to open it out. It is it is it is really really sets and people talking. Um, but I, I'm I'm a huge fan of it. I I I have a huge soft spot for it because I both adore Jeff Daniels and Eric Bogosian. <laughs> it's fun to watch them in the same thing. I will have to check that out. You said that was on Canopy. I think it's on. It's somewhere. I ended up searching for all five of them just on my Roku to see what was around, and I a bunch of them showed up in places I didn't expect. Probably on Tubi if you can deal with commercials. Okay. Yeah. I can deal with commercials. I have Peacock. <laughs> yes. yes <laughs> not not going to pay for free Peacock. No. Uh, no. not going to pay for Peacock. Um, not worth it at all. Especially, at since, all. especially since Girls 5 Eva is moving to uh, Netflix. Which is Oh, is it? Show. Oh, thank goodness. That's yeah. the only thing I've really wanted to watch there. So I enjoy that show. It, it's good. All right. Good deal. All right. Well, I, I don't know. What comes next for Altman? I, I know we'll probably talk a little bit more about that offline, but. Uh... So what happens, and I don't know which one we're going to do. What happens is he does this thing for television that gets edited into a movie called Vincent and Teo, a story about Vincent Van Gogh with Tim Roth as Vincent Van Gogh. That is this wonderful, it is, it is both a return to form and unlike a lot of other Altman, it is, it is a, an incredibly beautiful piece of work it's a really good movie and um that is sort of that's you know the 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 story is that that's his quintessential artistic rebirth uh and then he follows that up with the player which is the absolute one of the great you know that is the beginning of the third act of the career if this was if the 70s is act one and the 80s was act two the player is the beginning of act three that follows through to his death and there's then comes another fantastic run of at least at least four amazing movies, counting the player, uh, uh, that come out near the end of his films and a few or near the end of his career, and a few other really interesting ones. So I am. Uh, I don't know if we'll if we'll tackle Vincent and Teo or if we'll just skip right up to the player. All right, we will figure that out offline. And uh, in the meantime, I mean, the next few weeks or next few months, sorry, uh, because the way I, my schedule goes, I can only do one of these every few weeks. <laughs> but uh, we will try and get a few more out before the end of the year, though, because I know we're going to have some end of the year stuff to talk, a lot of catch ups and see if we can fit an Altman in there, too. And that sight and sound pool's coming. It's sight coming. And sound pool is coming. And again, if you have not listened to our discussion of our uh, sight and sound poll, go back to the last episode and listen to that. Um, I had a lot of fun doing that one. Me too. Me too. All right. Well, we will be back. I'm hoping before Thanksgiving, we'll see what happens. Um, but in the meantime, Perry, where can people find you? You can hear me every Friday on the Lucy and Lance show on WLBY in Ann Arbor. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, you know, I'm on Twitter. Never liked Twitter to begin with, like in Twitter, even less now. So I'm on over uh, Substack. <laughs> I should come over to Substack. I really should. Uh, and uh, let's see, I, you know, I'm around. You can find me. I don't hide. I'm an extrovert. Chris, where can we read your work? Well, I am an introvert, so uh, don't come find <laughs> me. Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Criticisms. Um, I for the time being i don't necessarily know if i'm sticking around but i for now i'm around i'm there uh but i am on substack uh criticisms.substack.com comes out i i used to be doing 
used to be shooting for three times a week, which, by the way, is way too much. Um, so I, I, I've pulled that back. It is a weekly newsletter mostly and maybe a few extra things here and there. But, uh, you know, every Friday I put out a newsletter and talk about what I'm watching that week. Um, you know, last week, the last one I published, I had some thoughts on Halloween stuff. I, I watched Near Dark for my first time, which I loved. Um, I wrote about Barbarian, which is on HBO Max, which I also really enjoyed. Um, you can also find my reviews of new movies at Cinema Nerds. That's Cinema Nerds with a Z. Uh, this week, I will have my thoughts on Armageddon Time and my full review of Weird, the Ali Yankovic story. Um, and on Facebook... Um, at criticisms you can find me there uh that's about it like i said don't come find me i'm i'm shy (laughs) he'll just he'll just send you my way because i'll talk to you (laughs) i can't help it there you go there you go uh perry i look forward to doing this again in a few weeks my pleasure as always chris thank you